0: These events are in the middle of the night. Jesus had shared the Passover meal with his disciples, the last ever Passover meal. He had inaugurated the Lord's Supper. This is my body. This is my blood. He'd said that Judas would betray him and that all would deny and desert him. And from that meal, they walked half an hour or so to the outskirts of the city and to the Mount of Olives at the end of the Kidron Valley. There were 11 disciples left with Jesus. And Jesus led them to a familiar place to what the other gospel writers tell us is the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane means olive press where the olives were pressed in order to yield their oil. It was a familiar place for Jesus and his disciples. They often went there to rest. And that night as Jesus led them there, disciples were in shock at what Jesus has said about betrayal and desertion. Peter had said, they're all going to deny you, but I won't. And when they got to the garden, Jesus told them to stay at the edge. And he took, the other gospel writers tell us, Peter and James and John, the three kind of leaders amongst the group, he took them a little further into the garden. But then he told them to stay there. Jesus went alone into the middle of the garden. Luke tells us, a stone's throw. Imagine throwing a stone that distance from the disciples. And they would fall asleep in time, but initially they would have watched Jesus. They'd watch him fall to his knees. Such an unusual posture for Jesus, the rabbi, the teacher. Matthew and Mark say he fell on his face to the ground. All of the gospel writers record his anguish, his sorrow. Later, reflecting on the events, the writer to the Hebrews talks about Jesus uttering loud cries to his Father. And we're talking about the eternal Son of God, the one who had stood up in the prow of a boat and said, Be still. And all the power of nature was silenced. And all the swell in the sea was calmed. The one who had said to a man who lived among the tombs, I will make you in your right mind, and he did. The one who healed that woman who just reached out and touched his cloak. The one who took a 12 year old child by the hand who was dead and raised her up. The one who fed multitudes was on his face in anguish, beside himself with sorrow. Why? The reason is expressed to us in the prayer he prayed. Twice he prayed my father that is an intimate word it is papa or an equivalent my father if it is possible may this cup be taken from me Yet not my will but you will be done the reason for his anguish his sorrow his agony and Luke records that he sweated drops of blood a medical condition associated with extreme anguish a flight response when one is close to death My father if it is possible may this cup That's the source and the reason for the agony, the cup. The cup is God's wrath. And God allows Jesus, his son that night, to see more fully than he has seen before, to contemplate even to experience to an extent the full horror of what he would endure a few hours later on the cross that he would be made sin, that all the sins, all the lies, all the lust, all the anger, all the sins of all humanity who will trust him as their Savior were made over to him, laid on him. And as he contemplated that in his sinless humanity, For the Word made flesh was made sinless flesh, as he thought on that and as he felt that sin being made over to him. All within his humanity revulsed and shocked as his sinlessness was invaded by sinfulness. He saw that. He contemplated that. And moreover, the punishment for sin, the eternal wrath of God that will be laid on him, he saw it. He felt it. And most of all, what rendered him distraught and anguished and fretful was the fact that for the first time in eternity, the fellowship between the Father and the Son would be broken. That the Father would turn His face away from the Son. That as Johnny prayed, there would be no voice saying, You are my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. there will be no spirit descending on Jesus. And in his agony, Jesus prays. And just listen to what he asked. My Father, if it is possible, may this cup pass from me, yet not my will, but you will be done. Is there any other way? Please, my Father, will you spare me from this? And he really prayed that. And he meant it and he felt it. And the devil was tempting him in his humanity. He was tempted in every way. This is the devil's last chance, last chance to persuade Jesus not to go to the cross. And if Jesus does not go to the cross, then heaven is empty. And all that exists beyond the grave is everlasting judgment. Jesus prays. That's why he encourages us to pray that we do not fall into temptation. He prayed lest he would fall to temptation. But he prayed... With caveats in his prayer, if it is your will, yet not my will but yours be done. And in his anguish, the answer to God, the answer from God to Jesus' question, may this cup be taken from me, was no. No. And at that point, Jesus got up, accepted His Father's will, and from that moment forward, He never flinched. He never doubted. He never questioned. Satan was gone. Now, salvation was achieved at the cross, but in the garden, in the middle of that dark night, in the early hours of Good Friday morning, the last battle that would either stop or allow Jesus to go to the cross was won. The second scene that Johnny read is of Jesus' rest in that same garden. And what a different Jesus we see. He speaks with authority. He speaks about the hour of darkness that has just happened. Somebody, and it's a natural human reaction, gets at a sword and cuts off someone's ear. Jesus heals him. The one who only a few minutes before was lying on his face in the anguish of his humanity, now in his divinity, heals that man And Jesus is arrested and taken to the home of the high priest, the Jewish religious leader. And Peter follows at a distance, brave Peter, who had said, even if they all, pointing to the other disciples, fall away, I never will. Jesus had taken Peter into the heart of the garden. Peter, like the others, had fallen asleep. Luke says, out of sorrow cried themselves to sleep. Peter's brave though. He follows at a distance and there he is outside the high priest's house warming his hands in the middle of the night at a fire. And then Luke records a servant girl. Now, how did Luke know how to record this? He wasn't there. Peter was. Peter told him. Luke, you need to write this down exactly as it happened. I was at the fire and that girl saw me in the light and she said, this man was with him. And Luke, I said I didn't know him. You need to write that down. And then somebody else Said, you know, you're one of them. And Luke, I said again, I didn't know him. And the third time. And Luke, you can almost imagine Luke saying, I'm not going to write it a third time. And Peter says, But Jesus said it would be three times. And there's blasphemy in Peter's final response Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, While he was saying, I do not know him. I will not associate with him. As he said these words. Two things happened. The cock crowed. To remind Peter of the promise. But Luke records these very moving words. Verse 61. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. So Peter's over there, warming himself. He denies Jesus. The cock crows, and Peter must have looked up, and he caught the eyes of Jesus. What do you imagine Peter saw in the eyes or the face of Jesus? Anger or love? Love. Love. the strongest kind of love that does for us what we need, not what we want. The love that said to Peter, Peter, now you know you need forgiven. You saw me in the garden. I need to go to the cross, Peter, for you. Now, what's our reaction to these events in the early hours of Good Friday morning? What do they teach us? Let me be personal. Because Luke wants us to be personal, they teach me that there is no other way for me to be reconciled to God than through Jesus' death. How do I know that? Because Jesus asked God if there was another way. And the answer is no. There is no other way. And it's spoken by someone who was in agony as he contemplated it. But the overriding impact of these events in the early hours of Good Friday on my soul is to realize how greatly I am loved. That God would not grant His Son's request out of love for me. And that Jesus, having seen what He would endure, It's one thing to endure something for another. It's even more indicative of his love that he saw it first and experienced it first. And yet, accepted that was his will. How greatly I am loved. I almost want to say to God the Father, do you love me more than your eternal son? His answer is, I love you as I love my eternal son. And I want you to become my child. And in Peter, Luke draws us into the narrative. For I have denied him. My sin estranges me from God. And as I look at Jesus, as He goes to the cross, in my mind's eye and in my heart, I see the Lord Jesus looking straight at me and saying, You need forgiven and I will go to the cross for you. He has loved me. Now, following Peter's denial, Jesus records, Luke records rather how Jesus was mocked by those holding him in custody. A few hours pass, and at first light, Jesus is brought before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council, what purports to be a trial, flouts any semblance of justice. Jesus is then taken before Pilate, the Roman governor. The plan of the Jewish religious leaders was that if they could get Pilate, the Roman governor, to condemn Jesus, they would be off the hook. Pilate frustrates them because he finds no guilt in Jesus. But Luke says they were urgent, stirring, saying that Jesus was stirring up the people. Pilate then sends Jesus to Herod Antipas, the Tetrarch of Galilee, a kind of puppet king. Pilate wanted the Jewish ruler to take the responsibility of condemning Jesus away from him. All Herod does is mock Jesus and sends him back to Pilate. We're now about seven or eight o'clock in the morning. If the events of Gethsemane in the middle of the night convict me that Jesus loves me, these event trials of Jesus, particularly the final trial before Pilate, convict me and convince me that Jesus took my place that Jesus took my place. Now, try to picture the scene, Jesus before Pilate, the Roman governor, standing on the stone pavement before the judgment seat of the Roman leader. Pilate again and again and again, and he was a brutal leader, Pilate again and again and again emphasizes Jesus' innocence, not twice, but three times. Do you find the defendant guilty or not guilty? The judge says, not guilty. I do not find him guilty of any charges, Pilate said. He has done nothing deserving death. Pilate addressed them once more, Luke records, wanting to release Jesus. A third time he said to him, why, what evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt. Is he guilty? No, the judge says, he is innocent, but the chief priests, the religious leaders, the rulers and the crowd were adamant that Pilate should condemn Jesus to death, and their voices were so strong, their Demands so relentless that Pilate gave in and he let them have their way and he condemned Jesus to die. Now, the custom at the Jewish Passover was for the Roman governor to release to the people one prisoner of their choice. Surely, they would ask for Jesus out of any sense of justice. There's Jesus standing there. Surely, they would ask for his release. Because on this side was Barabbas who was in prison because of insurrection or rioting and murder. Guilty. Not guilty. And what happened? The one who was guilty was set free, and the one who was innocent was condemned. It's a substitution, an exchange. The price for Barabbas' freedom is the death of Christ. there is the Christian gospel portrayed before our eyes. The one who is guilty and deserves to be punished is set free. The one who is not guilty is condemned and takes the punishment. Earlier in his narrative, Luke drew us in to stand where Peter stood, where we all must stand, with Peter convicted of sin, a conscious, contrite realization that Jesus needs to die for me. And now Luke draws us in to stand where Barabbas stood. And it's at this point in the Passion narrative that people are not willing to stand where Barabbas stood. They might have stood where Peter stood, watching the eyes of the Lord. But now, when we are asked to stand in Barabbas' place, we say, surely not me, I am not like him. But we must stand in his place. For we are guilty because we are sinful. And the question a holy God asks, the judge of all people, is that person sinful? And if the answer is guilty, there must be justice and punishment and judgment. What emotions does that stir in us? If God has opened your eyes to understand that Jesus did go to the cross to take your place, then thankfulness. But if you are struggling, if you are refusing to accept that Jesus needs to go to the cross to take your place because you are nothing like Barabbas, let me encourage you to examine your heart as you look at this middle-class preacher who is sinful through and through. If my life and thoughts were displayed on that screen my head would drop in shame. If your life and thoughts were on that screen, your head would drop in shame. We are sinful through and through. And God cannot overlook that. Go off and live without sin and you will not. We must come to understand have the humility to accept that like Barabbas, we are guilty and we can be set free if we accept that Jesus, who was not guilty, was condemned to die in our place. There's an old uh, hymn. I seem to quote old hymns all the time because I'm getting old. Bearing shame and scoffing rude in my place condemned he stood. Sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah. What a Savior. And if you feel in your heart uneasy, and ashamed and unnerved about being set free and sending Him to the cross, then so you should. And if that sense of being unnerved leads you in humility to bow your head in thankfulness, The events in the garden convict me and convince me that Jesus loves me. The events of Jesus' trial convict me and convince me that Jesus took my place. And now as we watch Jesus' death on the cross, Luke wants us to watch Jesus take our punishment What is the punishment? It's not the cross. Luke gives us no details about the execution and its pain. That's not the punishment. The cross is there as a shameful death. Jesus would hang naked, bloodied, scarred, whipped, mocked in shame. The punishment was not the nails. It was the punishment for a guilty sinner, all guilty sinners who would trust the cross for their salvation. What is the punishment for a guilty sinner? What is my punishment? What is yours? The judgment of God. What is the length of the sentence? Eternal. Without parole. Where is the place of punishment? Hell a place of unimaginable darkness. Darkness is the main image the Bible uses for hell. If we die unforgiven, we go to hell. Jesus said it again and again and again and again. but he's at his most persuasive when on the cross he says his first words, Father, forgive. You see, to be truly converted to Christ, we need to look at Jesus' eyes, as Peter did, we need to stand where Barabbas stood and watched Jesus go to the cross that we might go free. And we need to watch and to understand as Jesus took our punishment. And for these three hours on the cross, between the sixth and the ninth hours, between midday When the sun was at its height, and three o'clock in the afternoon when Jesus breathed his last and committed his spirit to his Father, in these three hours, all the unmitigated fury of everlasting judgment, hell descended on Calvary, hell on earth, hell on the sun, The Father turned His face away and cursed His Son. And all the sin of the millions of people who through all of human history have reached out in their hearts to the cross of Christ and His death for their salvation, all of that sin was carried on Jesus' shoulders. And the wrath of God the fury of God, the judgment of God for that sin was poured out on the sun such that as Jesus hung in the darkness, which simply signifies the wrath, you would not forget it were you there that day. We couldn't all be there because it happened in history. But Luke records it for us, so we can, in our mind's eye, be there, in the middle of the darkness, in the middle of hell, Jesus cried out, why have you forsaken me? And I think it's right to say that if we die without Christ as our Savior, we will spend all eternity crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God was absent at Calvary for these three hours. God will be absent for eternity, when people who have not received salvation in Jesus are in hell. Now, that's a terrible thing to contemplate, but it's what Jesus said, it's why he went through the agony in the garden. It's why he died. It's why he was raised to prove it's all true. He loves us. He took our place. He receives our punishment so that we can say, I am forgiven. The curtain in the temple was ripped from top to bottom when Jesus breathed his last and committed his spirit into the hands of his Father. His fellowship with God renewed. The penalty for sin for those who trust Jesus paid. you wrath, if you are a Christian. Extinguished. It does not exist. The curtain symbolizing the separation of humanity from a holy God, ripped so that through Jesus' death we can call God Father. Loved like he loves his beloved Son. The first words of Jesus on the cross that day were, Father, forgive. Father, forgive. That day, the Roman centurion who had supervised the execution, I'm not sure if he became a Christian that day, but what he did do is put two and two together and said, like Pilate is boss, this man was innocent. But he said something more than Pilate said. He praised God. The start of his journey to faith, perhaps. What about all the people that went home beating their breasts? That's why these eyewitness accounts are so important. That we can. But there was one man who was converted that day, the one who hung on the cross beside Jesus, who turned to his fellow criminal who hung and said, do you not fear God? What the man who was penitent had come to realize that beyond death, awful as his death was, there was eternal judgment. Do you not fear God? And God opened that man's eyes in the final hours of his life to understand who he was a sinner, guilty, facing everlasting condemnation. And God opened his eyes to see himself for who he truly was that's conversion. And God opened his eyes to see Jesus for who he truly was innocent, the king, bloodied, naked, shamed, but the king who would. Go through death and come out the other side and establish his kingdom. And God opened that man's eyes to understand that only in Jesus could he be forgiven. And what did he say as he struggled for breath? Remember me. And what did Jesus do? Did he say maybe? Did he say nothing? He said, today, you will be with me in paradise. And that's when push comes to shove in life, not least in the middle of all that we've been through. If we die today, you will be with me in paradise. The other thief died, and that day he went to hell. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, in a few moments, Johnny will lead us in praying for the needs of this world, which are so very great. But in this moment of quiet, all of us who are listening, come before you undone by the mercy that you display to us in the cross of your Son, that he took the blame and bore the wrath, that we might stand forgiven at the cross. Help us, Lord, to go there to look into the eyes of Jesus after watching him in anguish in the garden, to stand in the place where Barabbas stood and watch Jesus go to the cross that we might go free, and to look at Jesus as he receives our punishment, our wrath, as he bears our sin, and to trust him for our salvation and to hear his words today you will be with me in paradise our father that is the message the world needs to hear it is the only answer We've heard it, so help us all to respond in faith. For Jesus' sake, amen.